You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible. Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz and Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it. Luis, is your family back? They're back. All is well in the world. I'm the hero once again. Let's talk about heroes today. <laughs> you were texting me an awful lot when your family was gone. I was like, I think Lewis is, Lewis is getting a little bit lonely. Boy, you know how to make it hurt, Mike. You do the same thing that you do in appeals. You find the soft spot and you dig the knife in there. It's been absolutely great. Mm, yeah, I feel very lucky. Yeah. To have the Just to be clear. You. Just to be clear, your family didn't leave you. They went on holidays to visit some family, and and you were, you were left to fend for yourself like the hero you are. You stayed home. You defended the fort. You put food on the table. You afforded them the luxury of going on this once in a lifetime trip, and they're just so thankful for this hero in their lives. Well, and I would I would say I didn't afford anybody a luxury. It's totally a team situation. So we're we're already foreshadowing where this is going with the team. We all do our part. Yes, exactly. We're part of a small community, Mike. (laughs) And if anybody has noticed, we've been trying to subliminally insert the topic of today's conversation, which I don't know why it causes so much discussion and conversation in our sector, but the topic of whether the donor is a hero or not. When did you first hear about this concept, Mike? Let's go back to the origins. When did I first hear about it? Boy, like a very long time ago. It, but it also comes a lot from like the commercial sector where the customer is the hero. Mm-hmm. Customer is yeah. always right. Customer is always right. That sort of attitude or that sort of mentality. A lot of storytelling is based on the hero's journey. Now there's some... The, the, the hero's journey in and of itself is a little bit problematic as well, but whatever. Like a lot of storytelling comes from the hero's journey. So oftentimes that is also sort of where it comes from. Just like anybody who mm-hmm. studies storytelling or who talks about storytelling for good often references the, the hero's journey. And so and in that case, it, it, the donor is often the character in the story. So it also comes from there. But the history of donor centrism or that mentality is interesting. Because it wasn't always that way. Like fundraising's been around since forever, like since the dawn of time. But it's only really been professionalized for the last 70 to 100 years. In that period of time, it actually started out with the organization being the hero. All these organizations that were popping up in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s to address very real and large societal needs they were framed as like really heroic organizations doing the hard work that government wasn't willing to do or other people weren't willing to do, right? In the Depression, post-World War One, post-World War Two, So that's, you know, it wasn't always the donor's the hero. It used to be the organization is the hero. Yeah. And for those who may be curious about this part of the history of fundraising, there's a fantastic library of old fundraising ads, I call them, There's a British word that makes you sound much smarter, advertisements. But Mark Phillips maintains it. I think it lives on Pinterest, but you find it through his website. So I I think anybody who's curious, highly recommended to check out, look for Mark Phillips up on LinkedIn, send him a DM and ask him about this. There's a library of old fundraising ads. 
Yeah. So as far as I can tell, the first child sponsorship model was launched in the late 20s, early 30s. And I don't know if Mark Phillips has anything on Pinterest about that. I should actually check. I haven't checked out that library. Solid recommendation to go look at that Pinterest board. But that's sort of the time when fundraising started to be more professionalized and when organizations actually started thinking about building brands and started thinking about marketing more and started thinking about engaging more people in the cause and building a movement or building a community or building a donor base. But even throughout sort of, you know, the next 30 to 40 years, it was oftentimes a heroic organization. Donors got to be part of the work and beneficiaries were just like these poor needy people over there who had very little agency or or say in anything. Mm-hmm. Then comes along this this notion of donor centrism, which yeah, uh, which I actually think has maybe been misinterpreted over the last five to ten years and been misapplied and has turned into something else. And that something else is definitely harmful a lot of the time. But the original intent of donor centrism wasn't the donor's always right or the customer's always right. It was, hey, donors actually fuel our mission. They have beliefs and values. And if we can align their interest with ours, we can actually help them achieve a lot of good in the world, give a lot of money to organizations, and help a lot of people. Yeah. I, I guess the word centrism is misleading, right? It, yeah. it had, I think it had value when it came first came up. And I don't know exactly the history of that, but coming from that model and the first capital campaign, right? In the States, I think that was for a YMCA or YMCA, a y- yeah. Yeah, for YMCA, right? Was very much based on the principles of branding and mass marketing at the time, which was very novel. It was suddenly, it was a way, oh my good, like, at that time, it was a way to say, wow, we can increase our reach tremendously. But that's kind of the context where donor centrism made a lot of sense, which is now we're doing all this kind of fundraising, capital campaign of fundraising that is maybe too much mm-hmm. organization centric. It's about us. But obviously, if you're putting ads in a newspaper, like it, it wasn't a very bi directional. Me- medium of communication, right? So you said the word alignment, which is not about putting everything on the donors, from the donors perspective. It's about, you know, whatever you call it, meeting in the middle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about what what the notion of donor centrism turned into and some of the harms. And then we can also talk about the backlash against donor centrism. And frankly, some of the harms that has come with that backlash as well. And then we'll end, maybe we'll end, we'll end on where you and I sort of think we should be living in, which is not necessarily the donor as the hero, but it also isn't in a place of entitlement where people just owe us money. And there's a place in between that I think we can land at. Yeah. So this is going to be a pretty unsatisfying conversation for people who want a black or white situation yeah 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 for sure yep um which is just the which is just the way it is oftentimes for you and i and uh, you know if you want a hard-hitting really spicy take 
with a lot of hashtags. This just isn't the pod for you. Hashtag, it's not it. Okay, so we're talking about donor centrism. Do you think we can start the conversation with why donor centrism works or works better than non-donor centrism? which a lot of the time I feel is where the misunderstandings start to happen. Fundraisers or maybe traditional fundraisers or maybe middle-aged white men fundraisers very often, will very often say, well, hey, this is what works. And if you want to produce money for the cause, there's no other better superior way to do this. So it's dumb to think of anything else. Yeah, that's, yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about why it might work. Let's see even now why it might work. Different shades of donor centrism might work. And this is, again, defining this donor centrism. But here's, broadly speaking, here's why it works to focus on the donor's interests and passions and values is because nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, yes, I want to give money to a charity. Very few people have that as like a driving thing where they wake up in the morning and that's what they want to do that day. However, People do have values, they do have passions, they do care about stuff, they do care about legacy, they do care about teaching their children stuff, they care They care about the way that they're seen in the world, they care about what they think about themselves. And all of us, and this, this is a truth that we cannot get around, all of us are the hero in our own story. Yeah. It's just the way we're wired. Now, we can say that is very selfish, and maybe it is, guess what, we're all kind of selfish to a degree. And some of that is very healthy. The way many of us are a little bit selfish is for self-preservation. That's why we are here. Because thousands and thousands of years ago, somebody in our lineage was selfish enough to stay alive. <laughs> so all of us who are alive today, right? Like this is just kind of how it works. Like it's a little oh bit- Oh my goodness, we're back into the 80s. Greed is good. No, 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 no. Greed <laughs> is not good. <laughs> you're I need, I, 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 yeah i'm t- it, this is starting to feel like twitter but please go ahead i need a ceo to step in and coordinate my words as the grand coordinator a little reference to last, last episode, episode. yeah mm-hmm. no we're all a little bit selfish and that's okay that yeah. that is actually part of self-preservation that is your brain putting some calories to self-preservation to staying alive right yeah so i think we, and i think it's wise to acknowledge that right pretend that it's otherwise is counterproductive and i find that the people who try to pretend it's otherwise are sometimes self-interested in their own ways so right let's just admit it and design systems that work with that instead of against it no right so if we are all the hero in our own story that also means that the fundraiser is the hero in their own story it also means that the nonprofit ceo is the hero in their own story. It also means the people you're helping are the heroes in their own story. And that's okay. I, th- I think there is a misconception that if one person is elevated as the hero, automatically everybody else cannot be the hero. And that's not true. <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if you've ever been to therapy, therapists always say like both things can be true, right? So like the beneficiary can be the hero. The charity can be the hero and the donor can be the hero. Um, And that is okay. We don't have to have a super binary view of the world where only one person gets to be the hero. 
therefore everyone else is a victim or doesn't matter. Right. Okay. So um, I think but, two big ideas here you've shared so far. Let me recap. Number one is that essentially, if you want collaboration from somebody, especially in fundraising, that's an activity that's quote unquote sold to people. People don't go out in the world to buy fundraising. It's wise to appeal to their interests, to their self-interests. No? Yes. And self-interest isn't necessarily a bad thing because even altruism can be somewhat self-interested or or even a selfless act can be driven by something that you are interested in, right? <laughs> I'm interested in preserving the wetlands because I actually think it's important, but that's also a story I tell myself is that I'm the kind of person that really cares about nature. So even if I give all my money away to preserving the wetlands, Mm -hmm. there is the reason I'm doing it is because that is an important story for me. And I don't know, why don't we just own that and say that is part of it and that's awesome and that's okay because giving is a really, really good thing. Yeah, this gets super complicated. You asked us, and I kind of went off script, but you asked us, Mike, to look into what it's been interpreted as in the last five years. And I'd like to start that conversation by mentioning something that I observed is that people who have interpreted that donor centrism, the existence of self-interest as something negative, are very often in a position where they're fundraising from institutions. Like they're doing a lot of grant fundraising. And I think you're talking about more of an individual individual fundraising perspective. The person to person, yes, we can understand each other, kumbaya. And I find that those two camps are very clearly delimited in my mind. You have organizations who tend to rally around an ideological conception of donor centrism is bad who are mostly trying to practice fundraising and interact with foundations. And then people who do individual fundraising, major gifts, annual fund, mass marketing, whatever you call it, who are saying, well, actually, most people are good. (laughs) And we see it every day. Yeah, it's important delineation. So let's get into how donor centrism maybe has been misused and misapplied by charities, but then also misunderstood by some fundraisers. So. Donor centrism, if you take it to the edge, where where definitely it wasn't supposed to be taken to, it means that major donors, including major individual donors, including corporations, and including big granting foundations and institutional funders, get to lead your fundraising by saying, this is what I want my money to do and only this. And we bend over backward. Sometimes we create whole new programs just to get that money. Sometimes we compromise on values to get that money. Sometimes there's a lot of mission drift. We get away from the very thing that we said we're about to get that money. Sometimes we give unfair treatment to those people in a good way and then unfair treatment to our staff in a bad way in order to accommodate those large funders. Or the recipients of our programs. Yeah. And it's always done under the guise of, well, the donor is always right. It's donor centrism. And donor centrism actually says you do what's what's of you do what's best for the donor. You have their best interest in mind. 
And everything I just talked about is actually not having the best interest of the donor in mind. Because well, you are you are setting w- way wrong expectations of what it means to be involved with charity and fundraising. You, you are creating an, a power dynamic that is not healthy for anyone. You are creating a lot of problems down the road. What would maybe be in the best interest of the donor is for you to have a very honest and candid conversation with them about the power imbalance or about why you can't accommodate a certain thing or about why you won't compromise on these certain values. Yeah, The reason we don't do that is because we're afraid that the CEO is going to say, you lost a million dollar gift because you weren't willing to compromise on this. And it goes back to, well, the donor is always right. People are going to think the donor is always right. If I don't do this, well, the donor is like, that's, that's when you take it to the extreme, it becomes very harmful. Yeah. And also, I don't think donor centrism ever meant all donors. Like just what you said about that million dollar gift. It never meant cater to anybody and everybody who's out there who could potentially give make a gift to your organization. So in some ways, there's a very important power dynamic, but also a misunderstanding of the power dynamic, I find sometimes. Mm-hmm where the nonprofit holds a whole lot more power than people think. I mean, they're, they're whole consultants and, you know, they're whole firms who teach people how to deal with that. Right. Now, here's what donor centrum is at its best. At its best, it means a $50 donor has a great donor experience, just like a $5 million donor. At its best, it means that that the people who are who are going to leave you a gift in their will, and that gift may be twenty k or thirty k or fifty k, that they feel just as connected to your charity as the foundation that you give two tours per year and update them every single month on what is happening. It means that we're actually treating donors at all levels and we're being careful and thoughtful about how they're involved with our organization. And we're actually trying to build this community thing around the organization, right? That's at its best. That was what donor centrism means. And it's worst. It means that we give highly unfair treatment to some people and even sometimes put staff in positions of danger because they're supposed to go get the money. So yeah, you know, sending a lone female fundraiser to meet alone with a major donor somewhere. And, and, and very this, often this donors who have a, a yep. you know, horrible history of all types of bias and bad behavior. Yeah. And the history is being ignored completely because they're giving at a certain level, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at its worst, that's what donor centrism has been, has been misapplied, I guess, or, or yeah. used as an excuse but but at its best, it is actually supposed to be this thing where like, you know, a very diverse donor base, both in terms of income, in terms of where they live, in terms of what they're able to give, feels welcome and included in your nonprofit. And ultimately makes the nonprofit stronger for everybody. I mean, I think we, we need to like that approach of to donor centrism, we believe actually ends up and everybody being better off. The skeptics might say, well, yes, Mike, but everything you're saying about making people feel really good, that's time and effort that could be going to our true mission. So I think that 
It's also a difference between people seeing time and I, I don't know what you call it, love productivity <laughs> as a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. Like if I love my donors more, I'm loving everybody else less. Right. I, I hate the word love. It's not love. If I'm giving my donors a better experience, but I, I'm just using a, a shortcut for that. Whereas I think we're kind of saying, if you give your donors a better experience, that's going to grow your, your that means you're going to grow yourself. You're going to grow your staff is going, if you're doing it in a way that makes them included, it's going to fortify, strengthen your organization, which is going to make a big organization with more impact and better retention and a lot of really good things. So that's another difference I see, kind of the zero sum versus the whatever you call it, positive sum. Yeah. Interpretation. Yeah. And this comes up in messaging a lot when you are, let's say you're writing a letter to a person or you're writing an email or you're writing a speech or you're even leading a one-on-one conversation with a donor. And some people might say, I really don't like how you've centered that person in that conversation. It was just all about them. And, you know, there was no room in there for the organization and there was no room in there for the people that were trying to help. Now, here's that might sometimes very well be true. And other times it's very context dependent. So if I am just talking to Lewis and trying to get Lewis better, you know, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about you. That doesn't mean that I'm so fake. You're so fake, Mike. I thought this was coming from a real, a real place. Now I know it's all a theory. Well, no, it does come from a real place and it should. (laughs) You should be taking genuine interest. And so that doesn't mean that in that conversation, I am somehow decentering myself or valuing my contributions any less or valuing myself any less by not talking about myself and only asking Lewis questions about himself. Okay, right? but let's that, take this that's further. Just, that's just the context. Think, yeah. Exactly. But also, Mike, if you noticed over time that every time I showed up, all I was interested was in those juicy Lewis conversations and there was never any reciprocity, you'd eventually say... Like, do I want this guy on my podcast? Do I want this uh-huh. guy to do, you know, the donor growth podcast with me? Just give me a second. Mm-hmm. I just got to go buy the domain Juicy Lewis Conversations because I feel like you're going to want to make that into a podcast at some point, And then you're going to have to come to me for the domain. Oh, my. And the trademark. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If there's no reciprocity at some point, you're going to go like, yeah, I don't think yeah, maybe this won't work out. And again, context depending, right? Depends on where in the relationship you're at. and. You know, even sometimes us, we start this podcast. Sometimes, Lewis, you ask me a whole lot of questions about client stuff, about how my week was. And then they're like, oh, we got to start recording. And I never asked you a question back. Right. But then other times I ask you a lot of questions and we run out of time and then we just start recording the podcast. And it's okay Mm -hmm. because we are confident enough in our relationship and in our friendship that 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 back and forth is okay. Right. But yeah, context and also the fact that we don't decide things on just the one interaction. It's having that, I don't want to say long-term because it's not a multi-year thing, but it's having this kind of long vision for what you want relationships to be. Same thing with donors. Possibly when you want to attract them to the organization in the first place, you're asking them more about them than you will eventually over time and you'll bring them in and then maybe some of them will start to volunteer and care really deeply about your programs 
mm-hmm. and your beneficiaries and your students and your patients and you know anything else and you'll talk a whole lot more about you later you know yourself later on so yeah yeah it's just very complicated we have this philosophy called know the job and so i'll just quickly explain it and then i will i'll relate it to this conversation i promise know the job is just like whatever you're doing you've got to be very very clear on what the job of that thing is so if I'm sending you a direct mail appeal asking for funds, the job of that thing is to ask for funds. It is not to educate. It is not to ask for an opinion. It is not to get to know the person. The job of that piece is to ask for funds. And in that piece, we're often going to center the donor. And it's not a dirty word, centering the donor. It just means that in that piece... We're going to talk a lot about here's a need, here's how you can help. Here's a need, here's how you can help. Here's one way that you can help. If you help, here's what could happen thanks to your help, right? Mm -hmm. So context-wise, that is the job of that piece. In another piece, we're going to be talking about a beneficiary. It's going to be an update, impact report. And then we're going to center the beneficiary. And it's all about how to use their own strength, how they were the hero in their own story and overcame some adversity. Right. In another piece, we might be talking about our organization in a newsletter story. And the staff. we're going to feature a staff member or we're going to talk about our organization a little bit more. That's okay. Just because if one story, we are focusing more on one person or if in a story, one person is the hero, doesn't mean that other people cannot be the hero with one exception. The exception is when we make somebody a victim in the story. In story theory, the only character that doesn't change is the victim. The only reason there's a victim in a story is to move the plot along. It's to make the villain look bad and to make the hero look good. And throughout the story, the hero undergoes a transformation. Oftentimes, the villain undergoes a transformation. And sometimes there's this role called the guide and the guide undergoes a transformation. The victim never changes. The victim is useless in story other than to define the roles of other people. Mm-hmm. Never should we make beneficiaries or anyone else the victim. So that's that's my caveat, is that you can definitely have the donor be the hero in a story, so to speak, or you can have the organization be the hero, or you can be, doesn't mean that you're decentering the contributions of other people, depending on the job, depending on the context, as long as you're not making anybody a victim. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm reflecting on the actual conversations that have happened, maybe a little bit of context for those who have come new to this podcast and new to this conversation who are saying, what's the big deal? It seems pretty obvious. There has been a good number, I would say, of polemics and conversations that turned into heated conversations or even fights, you might say, that have hitted kind of the one camp against the other, I would say. And that's a little bit of what we're trying to parse out today. Yeah, you know, I I hope that this episode helps people expand beyond binary thinking. I think there's also a little bit of, I'm trying to position myself by telling everybody what's, you know, kind of showing with the negative about everybody else. So if, if I'm for centering, for increasing equity in nonprofits, for instance, let me try to position that against all the other philosophies and say that imply that they're not trying to achieve equity. Right. So it's hard. I mean, there's a lot. And I have to say the world that we live in 
because of all the things we've talked about in this podcast, the increase in communications, information bubbles, all the things that are affecting our donors are also affecting practitioners. And it's easier to fall into these bubbles than ever before. But also there's a lot of really good information out there that wasn't available. So I think this goes back to story theory again a little bit. Now, the easiest way to establish whatever your point of view, and I want to be clear, we're not taking a, a very strong point of view here. We're not saying the donor is the hero, donor isn't the hero, or 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 this is the end all and be all, or, or this other approach is the end all and be all. We're actually saying, yeah. you know, and and we'll we'll get to here if yeah. the donor isn't. And maybe the hero, we're more like, who is she? We're about to get there. But um, maybe we're more like mechanics. Look. If it fits, you know, if you can tighten that, if it works, let's use it. And if it achieves the goal that we want for the world, for, you know, our vision of the world that we want to create, then let's use it. And if not, not. sorry, interrupted you, Mike. Yeah. So in story theory, the easiest way to establish your own sense of being a hero is to say that other person is a villain. There you go. Because now you've got contrast, right? That person is a villain. I'm the hero. So it is easy, whatever camp you fall in, to say the other camp is the villain. And the way that they're doing it is ineffective. It doesn't work. It's harmful or whatever it is. And this, this again, I'm not talking about any particular thing here. I'm just saying it's very easy online, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. When we're talking about this conversation, we've seen it turn really heated and kind of ugly pretty quickly, I'd say. and. I don't think it needs to be or it should be. I think there's a way that we can have this conversation without having to put each other down. Yeah. I mean, that's as simple as as it is. Okay. So if the donor is not the hero, who is she? Your take. She is herself. And that is enough. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. I might use a word like partner. I think a superpower that humans have is collaboration. That's what got us so far. We're not very strong. Maybe we're smart. Dep- you know, depends on the day of the week. We're not very fast, but we've thrived as, as a species because we've been able to collaborate. So I, I like the word partner in that sense. And I think it also frames it in a way you think of partners as relationships. And sometimes that metaphor is helpful. Not always. <laughs> Don't be very literal about it. But that sense of achieving something together and having an exchange of value, like we explained earlier, that takes place over time. You don't have to do everything at once. Every single piece that you put out, every single conversation that you have with the donor doesn't have to be, you know, the you, the me, the mission, all of it at once. But over time, it's a mutual exchange of value. Yep, I agree. So we say that the donor, she is an important part of the team. And she has a meaningful and specific role to play. And that's it. That can be enough. She is who she is. Some donors are driven more out of certain kind of self-interest than others. Some donors are are driven by guilt. If you grew up religious, sometimes your generosity is driven by guilt. Sometimes it's driven by other things. I don't think that we need to say a donor is a hero. I don't think we need to say she's not the hero. If we define here as, as as somebody who takes an active role in their own life and wants to lead their own life, lead their family, and do good in the world, yeah, then then maybe they're here on their own story, and that's fine. I don't think we need to be calling donors heroes necessarily. I don't think we need to be engaging in a lot of fake 
authenticity or like fake donor love like that <laughs> that all should be should be genuine and if you it's think so wonderful i yes yeah. I, and if, if you think donors are an important part of the team and they have a specific and meaningful role to play you are going to treat them that way and that will be yeah, genuine yeah um, i would just add one thing mike which is i think a lot of fundraisers i'm speaking for lots of people who i, I don't know but i think that being aware of the power dynamics that exist would be helpful in general to lots of people, to lots of organizations. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think that some of the criticism of donor centrism has been around that aspect. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, it's all about the money, but really it's like there's this hugely imbalanced power situation where, like you said, we're putting our staff in harm's way. And I, I think that's a really good thing that has come out of this yeah. conversation, even if it, if it got a little bit heated at times. Yeah. So I know we both pay attention to that. So, yeah. Well, this has been the most unsatisfactory episode of the Donor Growth Podcast. We hope to have confused the bleep out of you around this topic, but maybe you found some clarity in some aspects. Maybe you thought about it a different way. And we do think that donor growth in general is about that. It's about more donors, and deeper relationships. So you can have both, like Mike was mentioned, he hears in therapy. More, <laughs> more heroes and deeper relationships with those heroes. You can have a whole gang of heroes, a whole, a whole crew. Louis, I just want to take this time to say how grateful I am for you. You are my hero. You sent me this wonderful book called The Minimalist Entrepreneur. It showed up on my doorstep. What a kind gesture. I appreciate it. Thank you for, for investing in my own growth and learning. And I should Thank also you. say to the listening audience, you are an important part of the donor growth team. And here is a specific and meaningful role you could play. You could come on the podcast and we can do a live consulting session with you. If you're up for it, shoot us a DM, Louis Diaz on LinkedIn, Mike Dirksen on LinkedIn. We'd love to have you on, talk fundraising, maybe solve a problem or two and just have a good time. So if you're brave enough, we've done it twice now. They are the most listened to episodes and the episodes that get the most traction. So if you're up for it, Lewis and I are here willing willing to, to do this with you. Okay. We'll be the Gandalf to your what Hobbit. That's, I don't know. Who, who was the hero in the Lord of the Rings? Everybody was. Lots of heroes. That's the point. No? We're all heroes here. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and BuildGood.com. If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible.